Um, hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 1. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what has was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angels had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Morning, morning. Oh, did you want this? Okay. There you go. You figured it out. All right. So we're getting. Woo! Come down a little bit. We're going to get into the scriptures today. Um, I'm really, I'm really interested in this passage because I feel like when we think about the Christmas story, we obviously, you know, think about Jesus, and then we obviously think about Mary. You know, Mary, did you know? But I want, you know, what was Joseph thinking at this time? You know, it was pretty, it was a pretty wild time for him as well, right? You know, I'm sure that he had uh, particular plans for his life, and I'm not sure this was the plan he thought. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm sure he was like, Lord, I, you know, he said he was a righteous man. Like, I'm trying to follow you, trying to do what you want me to do. This is not exactly what I had in mind. And I feel a lot of us could relate to that. Maybe not exactly Joseph's situation, but the idea of I followed you. This is not what I had in mind. You know what I'm talking about? And so I, I think one of the things that we learned from Joseph in this story is that even when we're in times where we're like, this is not going according to the plan that I made, we would think, well, we're still going to walk in obedience and trust in the Lord. And he is still going to fulfill his promises for us. Even in the times we're not going as we thought they would, we still walk in obedience and we trust in the Lord to fulfill his promises. Lord, I'm asking you that you would open up the scriptures for us this morning, that we would know what you are saying to us, that that you would speak to our hearts, and Lord, that you would uh, produce faith and obedience in us. Father, I pray that you will glorify your son, Jesus Christ, this morning. That we would see him clearly, draw near to him. In Jesus' name, amen. So I feel like we're, we're so used to the Christmas story that we forget about how scandalous the, sco- the story actually is. Like, we've heard this story so many times, it doesn't quite surprise us, but we need to pause and remember the scandal of Christmas. In verse 18, it says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his, his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Now, let's just pause for a minute. If, if you are Mary... In this situation, people's opinions of you would be, well, I guess she was unfaithful. Yeah? You know, Mary trying to be all spiritual, but we know what she was doing. Like, that's what, that's what they would have thought. Like, now, like, now, imagine how this would have made Mary feel. The great shame 
and ostracism that she would have felt. How when she walked in public, maybe she didn't want to look people directly in their eyes because she would know what they would think of her, even though it wasn't true. She would know what they would assume. Imagine how this would have made Joseph feel. Joseph would have appeared very foolish. In modern language, we would have said, man, you got played. Yeah? What you doing, Joseph? Keep your people in order. No, nah, no, nah, see, see, you need to understand the shame that both of them have, could have felt, the ostracism, the whispers, the glances that they would have had to endure. This is not necessarily a happy and joyous time for them. They are under a tremendous amount of stress because of what people would have been saying about them. What this teaches us about Christ is that that Christ is not afraid of scandal. He is not afraid to be associated with those who might be shamed or ostracized or talked about or glanced at. Listen, listen, Jesus himself, he faced the potential shame of being called a bastard. This actually happened when he was when he was when he was teaching the people. Some folks uh, got around and said, "Well, who is your daddy?" What do you think they was talking about? They're like, "We know about what your mama said, but we know what's up." Jesus is not ashamed to draw near to scandal, shame, and ostracism. And you need to hear this: He is not afraid of the scandal or the shame of your life. That when there is hard times and people might be glancing at you all kind of weird, that Jesus would draw near to you, serve you, and help you. Listen, he can use the worst of situations to accomplish his goals and your good. Now, if we, if we have a, a savior who's not afraid to draw near to complex and potentially shameful and scandalous situations, surely we should follow him in that, right? When somebody is entered a time where their life feels like it's being destroyed, that's not the time to back up. That's not the time to shake your head. That's the time to draw near and say, well, no, my, my Savior is not afraid of that, so therefore I wouldn't be afraid of that either. And I don't have to worry about, about well, what will people think of me or them or whatever. I can trust that the same Savior who worked goodness through the scandal of his birth can work goodness in this person's life. We have to be a people who are not afraid. This, sometimes what, what gets me frustrated is, is I feel like Christians have this reputation of not wanting to be near dirty stuff or scandalous stuff. We don't want to be near those kind of people, whoever those kind of people might be. But that's in direct opposition to what our Savior did, yeah? He was called out. Why? Jesus, you are hanging, hanging out with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. What are you doing? Listen, listen, it should it not be said that we would be associated with those same types of people. That we would not look at people in, in, in their, their down and outness and their shame. And we wouldn't just stand back and go, I hope it gets better, but that we would draw near. And that we would seek to serve and help. Now the question is, all of this shame could have kind of been avoided if Jesus was conceived the regular way, right? So the question is, why is it important that Christ be born of a virgin? 
Why was that so important that that is the way that it needs to happen? We need to understand this. The reason this is important is because our Savior needed to be fully God and fully man. He needed to have the humanity from his mother and the divinity from God. In the catechism that we use, the question 22, it says, why must the Redeemer be truly human? The answer is that in human nature, he might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the punishment for human sin and also that he might sympathize with our weakness. In other words, humans are the ones who sin, not God. So would it, be, it would be appropriate that a human would be the one to rectify the situation. Yeah? And not only that, we have a Savior that fully understands the human condition. I just feel led to speak on that shame for a minute. When you are praying to the Lord in your shame, you are not praying to someone who doesn't understand how you feel. His birth is shrouded in sin. His death is shrouded in shame. That's why the Bible says he was crucified outside the camp. He was crucified over there, out, out the way, with people looking at him and wagging their heads. Listen, when you call out to Jesus and you say, Jesus, help me endure this shame, you have one that fully sympathizes with you and understands what you have been going through. Question 23 in that same catechism says, why must the Redeemer be truly God? It says that because of his divine nature, his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective, and also that he would be able to bear the righteous anger of God against sin and yet overcome death. The reality is we needed a human to step up, but no human could perfectly obey God. So God became man. And in his power, he obeyed every single command. He displayed the perfect righteousness that we ought to have attained to, but that we could not. And not only that, here's the reality. Listen, listen. Our sin deserved a punishment, a consequence. I don't know if you've read the Old Testament, but, but when, when the wrath of God hits humanity, it don't work well for the human. There's destruction. So, so we needed one who could actually bear the weight of our sin and not be wholly destroyed. No human being could bear the curse of sin nor the wrath of God and live. But Christ, the God-man, could bear the wrath of God and get up. We needed a Savior who was both fully human and fully God. And I think sometimes we need to step back and we need to, to wander a little bit, to think deeply about this incarnation, the fact that, that God became man. And understand the scandalous nature of that. Now, now the genre of music that I listen to the most is Christian rap. That's just that is what it is. And when I was thinking about this this scene, uh, uh, one of the verses came into my mind. I'm not gonna rap it for you, okay? I'm gonna just read it to you. Don't get excited, all right? <laughs> but but it, this is what this is what Timothy Brendel, a rapper, said when he thinks about the incarnation of Christ. He says, "The scene was foul." It wasn't fancy, but raunchy how the Son of God was born next to camels and donkeys. What an awesome feat to drop so deep 
and cop his sheep. He didn't step down. He took a quantum leap. And I'm amazed how God, infinite in wealth, put aside his fame and limited himself. That is is the God that we serve. It wasn't just a little bit of of a step down. It wasn't just a little bit of humility. It was the deepest humility that you can imagine because it was a God who was at the highest of heights. The the, the scripture says that that everything is below his feet, that he rules and reigns, and he decided to come and dwell among us. That's that's why Christmas matters. That's why the season matters, so that we would marvel and think that God who loves us saw us in our shame and didn't only feel bad about it, but he entered into it himself. In verse 19, we get to see something distinguishing about Joseph. We get to see that that the righteous seek to honor others' reputation. Look Look at verse 16. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Now listen, from Joseph's perspective, before he knew what really happened, could, would you have been mad if you were Joseph? You would have been feeling some kind of way, all right? You would have been feeling some kind of way. But in his frustration and betrayal and anger, he did not drag her name through the mud. See the connection between righteousness and wanting to protect someone's reputation. From Joseph's perspective, she was guilty. That's, from his, that's all he knew. But even though from his perspective, she looked guilty, he says, I'm not going to drag your name to the mud. I'm still going to seek to honor you. See, see, religious people should not delight in the humiliation of others. That's not what God calls us to do. Now, this, this doesn't mean that we don't address wrong, because he addressed the wrong. We address what is wrong, but not for the sake of humiliation. Not for the sake of putting somebody on blast. We address the wrong and hope that there will be healing and repentance, but we're not trying to make ourselves feel better by putting somebody else's business in the streets. That's not what God calls us to do. Listen, listen. There is so much wisdom in and taking someone aside and addressing them, rather than just putting them on blast. Listen, we got to take the, the method that Jesus used. Listen, in Matthew 18, he talks about, well, what do, you, what, do, what do you do when somebody's sinning? How do you address it? In Matthew 18, he says, if your brother sins against you, go tell him between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen... Take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact can be established. If he doesn't pay attention, then, then go tell the church. This is the order of things. Because, listen, we're not addressing wrong so that we can feel good. We're not trying to put somebody in the spotlight to hide our own sin. We are trying to address wrong for somebody's healing, not to humiliate them. Which means we need to be careful and be beware of gossip. Listen, when you're speaking about someone, particularly if they're not with you, if you're talking about somebody and they're not with you, you need to think about what would they think if they heard me say this? Have I, re- have I represented them accurately? If they heard me, they, would they be able to say, oh, yeah, that's true? It, listen, even when you disagree with somebody, 
I was in a situation this past week, and they were, they were asking me about this other guy, and we, me and him have a disagreement. And I was thinking real hard now, now how do I say this? So I don't just, just like, how can I say this in a way that he could say, I, I, he, he represented me accurately. We, we ought to, 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 we need to look at um, how to obey God, particularly, this is going to catch a kind of side, but, but, but stay with me. We need to listen to how to obey God and the Ten Commandments. Now, in the, in the spring, we're going to do a series on the Ten Commandments. So the ninth commandment talks about don't bear false witness. And there, and there is uh, an explanation from Martin Luther, and he says, well, what does this mean? It means that we obey that, is that we should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. That, 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 is, that is what righteousness would call us to do. Now, again, remember, from Joseph's perspective, Mary was wrong. Nevertheless, he wanted to address it in a way that would, that would preserve her dignity the most. That's what we should do. We should use our words to bless and to honor people. In verse 20, uh, we, we see Joseph kind of coming to the Lord, trying to figure out what in the world do I need to do? And, and, I, and I want to say that the, the Lord guides the prudent. In verse 20, it says, But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to, to look how he didn't take quick action. He, the Bible says he considered these things. He was pondering what he should do. A rushed plan is usually a bad one. Yeah? And listen, he had every right to react quick, right? When he found that news, he, oh, oh. But no, he slowed down. He thought. He prayed. He pondered. Listen, that's what prudence is about, that we don't just react when something happens, even if it's something that cuts us deep emotionally, but that we would sit and think and ponder and pray. Listen, the, the Lord blesses godly prudence. Now, what is prudence? Prudence is, is a, a guy named Pete Scazzaro. He says, he says, prudence is used to characterize people who have foresight to take everything into an account. Prudent people think ahead, giving careful thought to the long-term implications of their decisions. Proverbs talks a lot about the prudent man. It's, Proverbs 19, 2, it says, even zeal, zeal is like, like excitement, holy excitement. Even zeal is not good without knowledge. And the one who acts hastily sins. Listen, if we are to, to imitate this righteous man, the scripture calls him righteous, it means that we wouldn't be quick to run to conclusions and quick to do, do major life changes without patient consideration. You know, one of the things that you can say about Jesus, as you read the Gospels, it never seems like he's in a hurry. Now, everybody else in a hurry. Jesus, come here. Jesus, we got to do this thing. He, he's just like, well, I'm going to do what I need to do. Listen, hurry is one of the great enemies of spiritual life in our day. But God blesses prudence. And this is hard for me because I associate maturity with quick decisiveness. Right? Just do the thing. Do the thing, but no, 
God says, be patient, consider, ponder, pray. And in his prudence, we find that the Lord defends those who follow him. See how the angel defends Mary's character of Joseph? Like, like, like there will be a day for you. Maybe somebody has told untrue things about you. But there's going to be a day when all things will be brought to light. And there will be clarity about everything. And whatever lies were told about you, they will be, be seen to be untrue. Now, now, now it kind of gets interesting. In verses 21 to 23, we see how God is fulfilling prophecy. Even in the pain of these people's lives, God is fulfilling his plans. Look at verse 21. It says, she will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God is with us. Look, if you look at the, the, the unfolding plan of Scripture, you see all these promises being made, one after another after another. In Genesis, you see that there will be one who would crush the devil, the snake. You, you also see in Genesis that there will be one who would bless the nations. You would see there will be one who would speak for God, one who would intercede for the people, and one who would rule over God's people. And we see in Jesus God fulfilling every single one. See, this virgin birth was prophesied, and that's the confirmation of all the promises that God had made in the Old Testament. The incarnation was prophesied. It says that he will be called Emmanuel, that God cares for us so much that he would come as close as possible. And not only that, this prophecy about his name, it, it, it assures us that our salvation will be accomplished. Jesus, it translates to Savior. Or God saves. And the angel says what? And he will save his people. He will. Is it he might? He could? No, he will. That's the confidence that you can have in your Savior. He is involved in the intricacy of the lives of his followers. Listen, if God can organize all of biblical history, I think he can manage your life. Yeah? If he can organize thousands of years of prophecy and fulfill it accurately to a T, he can organize your life. He looks like, well, it looks messy. Well, Bible history looks messy as well. I don't know if you read it, but he still accomplishes purposes. So no matter what you look at, you're like, man, it looks messy. I don't know what he's going to do. No, no. He has the wisdom, the power, and the care to organize your life in a way that will fulfill his purposes and ultimately bring you joy. In verse 23 and 24, we see the Lord accomplishes his purposes through the obedience of his people. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Joseph had a dream. He woke up, and he obeyed the Lord. And we, we look at that, and we're like, well, of course he obeyed the Lord. You know, imagine how hard this would have been. Like, I, I guess I had a dream. I guess the Lord told me. But he's still going to have to walk around every day with someone. Listen, everybody's going to think one thing. Either she was unfaithful or he was unfaithful because they didn't wait. And he's going to have to live his whole life in this shame, particularly in that particular culture. 
So he woke up. He saw what God wanted him to do. He recognized how hard it would be, but he did it anyway. And he respected the Lord. He exercised self-control. Sometimes we need to exercise some self-control. And listen, he honored his wife. Husbands, you need to think deeply about how to respect your wife. Not just to seek your own good from her. But to honor and respect her. And to see the Lord accomplishing his purpose in all of this. Listen, we need to see how God accomplished our salvation through his obedient son. See, there was one who was more righteous than Joseph. His name is Jesus. And Jesus is the obedient son, the obedient servant who perfectly obeyed the father. Jesus is the one who died in our place for our forgiveness. And Jesus will fully accomplish his plan. Listen to this promise in Hebrews 7. It says, says, therefore, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. Is he going to save you kind of, almost, a little bit? No, completely. So he is worthy of our trust. So maybe some of y'all want to think about, well, should, should I follow him? Should I trust in him? Listen, he is the one who is able to, to complete your salvation, and he can orchestrate everything in your life, even the parts of your life that bring you shame. He can orchestrate all of that for his glory. Your good. He is worthy of your trust. He is worthy of your obedience. Come to him. Now, what does this passage call us to do? How can we obey what's written here? I think one simple way is that we just have to trust the Lord, and and, and particularly in the moments when we can't quite see what's going on. We have to trust in the Lord and do what is good. That's the one thing I can say about Joseph. He might have been confused. He might not have been able to connect all the dots. He's like, I think this is what you, but but one thing you can say is he trusted the Lord and whatever the Lord told him to do, he disobeyed. Listen, if we would trust the Lord and obey him, obey what he says in the scriptures, obey what he leads us by the spirit, then, then we can trust him to handle all the big stuff. This master plan that we're always wondering about. We can trust him to handle that if we would just obey the simple commands that he gives us. In Psalm 37, it says, trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Securely, Take delight in the Lord. He will give you your heart's desire. So we, we just see, we're just trying to do what's good. We try to do what's clear in front of us, and we trust him to orchestrate our lives in a way that is good and right. We should seek faithfulness with our words, yeah? We should not speak too quickly. We think about how our words could bless and serve others. We, we need to seek faithfulness and prudent thought. Listen, we got to think about, think as someone who will have to give an account. Yeah? We're going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account of what we have done. I think that will help us be a little bit more prudent. I'm going to actually have to talk about this, what I just said or what I just did. We should pause and ponder, and we should seek faithfulness and small and little obedience. Ours is not to worry about the grand plan. That's not in our, that's not in our, that's not ours to worry about. Joseph didn't need to worry about the grand plan. Mary didn't need to worry about the grand plan. They needed to trust the one who could orchestrate all things. And for us, we just obey 
what is clear. The psalm says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. So we are to walk in obedience and trust the Lord to fulfill his promises. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a prudent people. Lord, Lord, would you help us to be those who ponder your word, that seek to obey you, and that trust you. Lord, would you assure us that the plan of our life is in your hands and that you guide us in the right way. You are a faithful shepherd, a faithful leader. And even when things don't work out the way that we thought they should, you still guide us in the right path for your name's sake. So Lord, we honor you and we praise you. In Jesus' name.